everybody. Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and my co-host as always, Charles W. Carpenter III. And today we have a special guest, Kent C. Dodds. Hello. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. First question for you, uh, <laughs> unless you don't want to answer, what does the C stand for? <laughs> oh, it's Christopher. Gotcha. All right, hmm. cool. I'm inspired by that, and I will now be going by Charles W. Carpenter in all forums. That's great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, bought a, um, I bought the domain kentcdods.com years and years ago, and uh, when I was still in school, and I asked, or I, I changed my email address to me at kentcdods.com and told all my friends to use that. And, uh, and then they started just calling me Kent C. Dodds because of my domain. And <laughs> one, one of them I, I worked with. And so then all my coworkers started calling me that. And then it just kind of stuck. So now I'm, I'm a little persnickety about it now. <laughs> oh, I see. Was uh, Kent Dodds without the C already taken? Uh, no, actually, I don't know why, because I, I bought that later, like a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, that's still hmm. like a thing. So, yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know of any other Kent Dodds's out there, so I, I don't need it for a disambiguation thing. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah the, the C was just kind of fun, I guess. Yeah, you just like it. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I, I mean, it's worth leaning into. Why not? You uh, sure. you committed to it, and and I appreciate the tenacity of you sticking with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, normally we do whiskey web and whatnot as part of the name of the show, but today. Uh, in respect to Kent not drinking, we decided to do some eggnog. Um, we don't all have the same kind of eggnog, but I mean, how different can it be, really? Mine is vanilla well, spice. Well, yeah, we'll yeah. find out. Yeah, mine's, <laughs> mine's almond milk, so arguably quite different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I've got myself some Sprite spiked uh, regular old eggnog. So hmm. Sprite effervescence, that's clever. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And actually, the Sprite was kind of old, so <laughs> I, it's a little bit flat. <laughs> nice. Sounds delicious. So do not recommend? As well. Would you repeat? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm actually not a huge eggnog person uh, anyway, um, but it was just like, you know, it's the season of eggnog. Um, and so yeah. that's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's an interesting like, okay, like, well, it's kind of like pumpkin pie. You know, you don't eat pumpkin mm-hmm. pie all year long, all year long. At least I don't. Yeah. I don't know about Rob. I wish but, we did. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't even eat pumpkin pie. Um, when it's Thanksgiving, I, I'm not a pumpkin pie. I'll eat it if it's the only option, but give me, uh, that chocolate pudding pie and I'm happy. Interesting. Nice. I like to do an apple pie a la mode. That's a good one. Apple pie is good. I'm a fan. Yeah. Chocolate pudding pie. I don't, I don't normally associate with Thanksgiving, but. Oh, really? A try. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I, of my uh, my love of uh, chocolate pudding, and I always ask for it, and that's why it's always been a staple for me. <laughs> yeah, it could be. This nice. is like a clever Dodds invented uh, tradition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've poured and tried my nog. It is reasonably thick and mildly vanilla spiced. I give it, it as far as eggnogs we've reviewed. I give it eight tentacles. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we review on a tentacle scale, so it's one to eight tentacles. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess mine, I, I'm going to give a five just because, well, I guess as far as eggnog is concerned, um, maybe it can be a seven or eight. I don't really 
care too much for eggnog, so it's it's as good <laughs> as any eggnog I've had. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, mine's mine's not great. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's it's not bad. We usually we make uh, lattes out of this because it's like very eggnog tasting, but not it's not mm. thick. It's like really liquidy, so it's better like mixed in something else. But it's it's good. It's um mm. for almond milk eggnogs. It's really good. I would give it like six or seven for almond milk eggnogs, but Mm-mm. something like that. Yeah. Cool. So. so I noticed on the, um, the email that we were doing, you have like a, an octopus here or something in the signature. What is that your company? Yeah. Yeah. We cool. also have, uh, our branded Christmas sweaters. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, uh, that's just the, that's like the only thing I've ever designed myself that I've liked. Like the one time I did a little bit of design and made it the logo and everything yeah, else. Cool. We have a, a fancy designer that he makes all the stuff. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um. Actually, Ryan Florence put through together the remix design uh, or for the remix logo a year ago and uh, ended up getting a designer to redesign it. And I actually kind of liked the the original logo, but the new one is um, looks really fancy. It's a glowing and stuff. So. I, I think it was a good call for him to to switch or, or to use the designer's design for the logo, but yours looks pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks. So you remixed the remix logo a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> That's there <right>. you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that brings us into a, to another question. I have a bunch of questions. I was researching you for like the past hour or so, so I just wrote a bunch of questions. <laughs> cool. up. He gave you um, an entire hour of his life. It's very... Wow. That yeah, is an honor. Thank you, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've I've seen you around on Twitter and been on blogs you've done and stuff when I've had issues with with testing or various things. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just learning more about you in general and realized that you actually are part of the Remix team, like officially now. Yeah, yeah. I loved it so much that I joined the team. <laughs> nice. nice. I, I pretty yeah. much I got to the point where all I wanted to do is teach people how to build Remix sites because my my goal is to help people make the web better uh, or make the world better through quality software. And so I was thinking about all the the courses that I've got and stuff and like what I, I need to update them or like make new ones or something. And um, I just was pretty much like, well, if, if I just be, tell people use Remix, then that like solves so many of the problems that my courses are teaching you how to avoid or solve or work around or whatever. And so I, if I just say use Remix, then I don't have to teach you all of this other stuff that like it aren't problems anymore. And so I pretty much just wanted to focus 100% on Remix. And and Ryan and I are friends and Michael uh, and I are friends. And so we kind of talked about, um, you know, maybe collaborating or something. And eventually it was just like, hey, it'd be a lot easier if you just worked here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, yeah. And then... I can do like this level of quality stuff, but make it free for everybody because we just want people to use it. Um, and I'm getting a salary and, and um, ownership of the company and stuff. So, yeah. So, nice. it was, and then the other nice thing is like, I really can just focus on Remix rather than uh, dividing my time across like other things that I could be teaching people. I can just be like, nope, I work for Remix and that's why Remix is all I do. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with this change. <laughs> and how recently did nice. you join full time? That was about a month ago. Um, oh. Yeah, it's been a pretty wild, wild month. I had like a week uh, before we actually released Remix officially uh, to get things ready for 
you know, because I'm in charge of developer experience and marketing falls under that. Um, and so, yeah, I had to very quickly um, get something ready for uh, the big launch. Um, and uh, so it's been been a wild ride so far, <laughs> but it's been awesome. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, I've been hearing so much about it. So it is it does make me curious. So as like in comparison to some other React based frameworks like Next.js, Redwood.js, some of them in some ways they lean into a particular like vertical and say like they're sort of like the best for kinds certain kinds of apps like Next has really gone into the e-commerce space. They're doing all the serverless stuff. Redwood says they're the framework for startups because it's full stack. Um, so it's giving you the entire application in that way. Um, is there a particular niche that uh, Remix is best suited for? or Because it sounds like you're saying that it, you know it's, it's great for any kind of web application, but just kind of wanted to... Yeah, the niche is anybody who wants to build an amazing user experience for the web. So it's kind of broad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the um, Next.js and Gatsby, uh, Netlify, they've all le leaned into, and Redwood, I think as well, have all leaned into the Jamstack, which is JavaScript, APIs, and markup. And um, typically that's a, a static site-generated sort of thing, though um, some, depending on how you define it, Remix could also be a part of that. Uh, Remix is a, um, a server-side rendering-only uh, framework um, as of right now. Like eventually we're going to run in a service worker and that, at that point it's like, what is it now? I don't know. But right now it's all server-rendered. Um, and we do that because we feel like that provides the best user experience. Well, it objectively provides the best user experience. Um, it's way better to just see your stuff than to see spinners while you're waiting for your stuff. Um, and so if you can just make it so fast that you don't need spinners, then uh, that's a better user experience. And so the Jamstack is uh, just very limited because it kind of calls for spinners um, while your data is loading. Um, you're hitting those APIs and you got to show the user something. That is just not a good user experience. You end up with content layout shifts all over the place. So it's better to just render the data on the server and then uh, send it the HTML and then you can rehydrate to make it interactive and whatnot. And so Remix, we are soon, or we just did, uh, announcing this uh, <laughs> new stack that we call the red stack uh, that is uh, rendering edge data. And so um, there are a couple platforms that, that support this um, sort of architecture. Cloudflare Workers is a really popular one um, where they can you can run your own JavaScript on the edge, uh, which is for those unfamiliar, that's basically like you have your origin server, then you have the CDN, and then you have the user between your origin server and CDN. Cloudflare Workers um, operates between the user and the CDN. So before you even hit the Cloudflare Workers CDN, you can actually run some code. And so that's what we mean by the edge. It's basically distributing your app um, in many regions throughout the world to give users a really fast experience. Uh, so Cloudflare Workers is one. Amazon has like some AWS thing. I can't remember what it's called, but they, they've got something like this. And then uh, Fly.io also has something like this that where they're actually a full server, um, not a, a simplified environment, um, but you can deploy that same server to like 30 something regions throughout the world. Uh, Dino Deploy also does something similar to that uh, with Dino. Um, and so 
by making it so that you can respond to user requests within like 50 to 100 milliseconds, you can have maybe like it's possible that you could be even faster to render something to your users um, than uh, than even static site generation. I've seen some like responses in 50 milliseconds with a uh, full server rendering and stuff like that's that's huge. Um, mm -hmm. In any case, even if you do take another 50 milliseconds longer than static site generation, what your users are seeing is uh, the the like all of the content, no spinners in place versus like being able to show your user something useless a little faster. That's basically what the static status quo is. So anyway, yeah, that's the, the red stack. And, and uh, a requirement of this stack is that your data is just as close to your users as your server is. Otherwise, like you don't get that benefit um, as much because uh, your user may not need to go hit those APIs to get the data, but your server does. And so like that, that distance does make an impact on the speed. Yeah, so there are a bunch of platforms that support this and, and Remix is, is well situated to sit in there. Bringing it all the way back to your original question of how does this compare and like what what's the niche? Um, it comes down to pretty much any application could be benefited by using Remix with with the Red Stack because for one thing, Remix is just real well positioned to uh, to enable you to use this sort of stack. Uh, for example, like Next cannot run on Cloudflare Workers and for another, because Remix does uh, full server rendering, you give your users that better experience as well. Now, Remix doesn't do a whole lot for you right now for like if you're building a game and so you have no routes, you're just like on the home page, there's a game right there or something. Uh, Remix makes React easier to use um, in, in some ways. And so I, I still would build, like if I had to build something like that, I would still build it with React or with Remix. But uh, it's like not especially suited for that sort of thing any more than uh, than like Next or, or Gatsby or something or uh, something like that. But I do believe that you'd still end up with a better user experience uh, using Remix. Uh, for example, uh, when you land on a or, or when you're going to a website, one of the first things that the browser does is it's downloading the HTML. It sees, oh, you've got link tags for CSS and, and image tags and stuff. So now I'm going to go fetch those. And so we have this waterfall effect where you get the document, then you get the JavaScript and all the other stuff. Uh, well, because Remix is your compiler, uh, we can actually, and it's also your server, or, or it's not your server, it integrates with your server. Uh, and so it's managing, handling the requests and response and stuff. We can actually add headers to the response and we can stream the response. And so we can start streaming the response and add headers to that response that will um, tell the browser to start fetching those things right away uh, and, and load those into the cache. And so the browser doesn't have to wait for your, um, for your document to have started rendering. Like when, when you hit the, um, the server, it's going to need to say, okay, let's go get all the data and, and whatever else. We can actually start sending the response with headers that says, hey, I'm going to need you to download some of these assets um, before we even start sending the HTML over. And so that makes it very, very fast. Um, there's no longer this waterfall. And so even if you have a single page, you're still going to be faster if you're using Remix. Uh, and so that's why I say like, I, I haven't yet found a use case for building on the web that Remix isn't really well suited for. Like I said, it, it's not, it doesn't have a bunch of abstractions useful for somebody who's gonna build a game necessarily, uh, but neither does like any other um, web framework like Remix. Um, 
But yeah, it sure has a lot of useful things for you if you want to build an excellent user experience on the web. So that's what it's for. Well Sounds said. like there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of nice developer experience aspects to it as well. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, actually, it's really awesome coming from anything that uses Webpack um, <laughs> because <laughs> it it builds in like half a second. Uh, you like you could take a my site, which is around thirty thousand lines of code. And that builds in half a second. Hmm. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank give you, you ESBuild. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Having never used Remix or real, I've been like trying to experiment with Astro recently. Like, are they somewhat similar in ideology there where it's like we want to ship the least stuff possible and do it all behind the scenes kind of? Yeah, so I haven't actually used Astro either. Um, but like the the big thing behind Astro is their uh, JavaScript islands or like the little islands of interactivity, and that, that's an interesting idea. I, I think the the main motivation behind that is we we just want it to load really fast, right? Um, the the amount of data doesn't matter nearly as much. Like if you're worried about the amount of data you're sending to users, then like don't send images and stuff, right? <laughs> like, right. Uh, that's that's way more than any JavaScript that that you're typically going to send. And so like if if that's the camp that you're in, then um, Remix can actually still help you with that. Like if if you care that much about how much you're sending over the wire, then you just uh, build your app uh, so that it works without JavaScript at all, and you can do that with Remix. In the Remix tutorial, um, we have two, and one of them is like build your own developer blog because that's what everybody wants to do when they're trying something new. Mm -hmm. um, and then the mm -hmm. other one is like let's build a real app that has authentication and a database and all of that stuff. And in that one, um, you get to like the last stuff on the app, and I I say, oh by the way, it might make sense for us to turn on JavaScript. And because like we got through this whole thing all the way, like authentication with validation and everything, a, a really nice user experience without even uh, adding JavaScript to the page yet. And so, yeah, like if that was your camp and you're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I just want to save on the bytes as much as possible. Then, yes, you can build amazing user experiences with Remix that don't even use JavaScript. Um, and so like with Astro though, that's, that's not what they're going for. Like they don't want you to have to build a, an entire site that doesn't use JavaScript. They just want to reduce the amount of JavaScript so that, um, users can start using it faster. Right. Um, right. that's primarily the goal. It's like they don't have to, they don't want to have to wait for the JavaScript to load. So here's the cool thing about Remix, because you can make the app work without JavaScript at all. That means that it, it works while the JavaScript is still loading. And so even if it takes you multiple seconds to load all of the JavaScript, uh, because we're server rendering and they, they can see it and, and everything, everything works. Like the, the links are actual links. The, um, any mutations are actual like forms. And so if the user starts using the app before the JavaScript is finished downloading, then they can start like deleting tasks and marking things as complete and, and, you know, creating new things and, and clicking on links and stuff. And all of that will work. It will work the way that it does if they didn't have JavaScript running in the first place. And so, uh, Astro is, is neat and interesting, but we don't have the problems that Astro solves when you're using Remix. And so like, because of the knowledge that we have as your compiler, we can trigger the browser to start downloading that JavaScript faster as well. So even in that situation, we may end up um, having an, a completely hydrated app sooner anyway. 
So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting and um, what they're doing. Another one that is very interesting to me is Quick uh, by Mishko Hevery, who created Angular. Um, I was at a conference with him and and he, uh, we went out to dinner and he was explaining to me this new framework that he's working on. And, you know, when the creator of Angular starts working on a new framework, it's like, okay, what have you got now? And and, uh, it's, it's very interesting. What his does is server renders and it sends all the HTML and it will not load any of the JavaScript until you actually start interacting with stuff. So when you uh, click on a button, that's when it will say, okay, let's go get the JavaScript that's necessary for executing the callback, you know, or the event handler for this button. And so it, like, even when it does start downloading JavaScript, it's just like a teeny tiny amount of JavaScript that uh, it needs to download. Um, and so you, you end up downloading way less JavaScript. Again, except for a small subset of people who are like trying to say, oh, I, d- I just, I want to save on data. And so they want to ship as little as possible. That's a very small number of people trying to build apps like that. Um, Really, our entire goal is um, how do we make it so that users can start using my app faster? And so I feel like Remix checks that box off. The the only thing that you can't do with Remix um, uh, as it's using uh, React is if the thing that the user wants to do cannot work without JavaScript, then then they do have to wait for the JavaScript to load. So like it's uh, maybe you've got a... Um, a button that they press and it pulls up a modal and that that's not like server rendered or something that's all client side uh, or it's like a drop down or something like that then yes that you will need to wait for javascript to load for that though i, I did see somebody do a multi-select ui that worked without javascript um, so it is possible to make even some of those sort of things work without javascript as well which ends up being better like so uh, if you rely on javascript you'd be surprised how often uh, the JavaScript fails to load. So like there's there's the waiting for it to load, but there's also the time that it takes to load in the first place uh, or or uh, the, the fact that it sometimes doesn't load at all. And so, yeah, making a framework that it's possible to work without JavaScript um, solves a lot of these, um, these sorts of problems that we're trying to commonly solve with uh, frameworks that are trying to send less JavaScript. Um, that that's one solution to the problem of of making things faster. But I feel like with Remix, we found another way to make things faster without having to make all these trade offs on uh, different architectures with uh, having to completely change the framework that you're using and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, it reminds me of kind of like over the past I don't know how many years people have been like really trying to get away from jQuery to like make their apps smaller, and like now you're kind of saying. It's kind of a similar paradigm of like, let's get rid of as much JavaScript as possible, make our apps smaller. And like, like maybe we won't need any JavaScript at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, like there, there are some things that you absolutely need to have JavaScript for, uh, for accessibility purposes and uh, that sort of thing. So like, we're, we're not saying that you like our, our goal is to make it so you don't have to have JavaScript on the, the client. The real thing is that, like we can give the users an, an excellent experience while they're waiting for the JavaScript to load. Um, and in the event that the JavaScript fails to load. And then what, what's really cool is the types of experiences that we can give them once the, once the JavaScript has loaded. And so with the, the APIs, the use transition API in particular, that tells you um, what is going on with the router at that moment. You can deliver some awesome optimistic UI experiences. So you basically 
for like 99% of the cases, you don't need a loading spinner at all. Um, you just like, when was the last time you saw a loading spinner on Google Docs, right? Like you're typing around and you don't even think about it. Like uh, you just assume that it's saving uh, as you're typing. You never really think about it. And, and yeah, maybe sometimes it does fail. Like you get disconnected or something and it will show you it's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to save, but I can't. You can build that sort of experience with Remix because of the, the APIs that we, we offer. And so like the the goal here is loading is is not cool. Like showing loading spinners is not cool. Um, let's let's question the entire premise. Why do we have to show a loading spinner in the first place? Maybe we can avoid showing loading spinners. And and primarily it's it comes down to well my backend is really slow. Uh, okay, well let, let's speed up the backend. Well I can't speed up the backend. Okay, well um, then you can cache that that backend response um, and and give the user something that might be out of date, but it's better for them to see something that might be out of date than wait five seconds to to get their response. And then uh, on the mutation side of things, like how often do you expect your mutation to fail? Uh, especially with Remix, where your uh, server side code is right next to the client side uh, Java like uh, React components and stuff. Uh, you can take that validation logic and just move it out into the shared code space of the module. And then you can run the same validation on the client and the server. And so if it validates uh, with those functions, then it's probably going to work. Uh, we can assume that's going to work and we can be optimistic about that and, and show to the user what they're going to see, assuming that that um, thing is going to work. And so um, in that case, then you don't need a loading spinner either. Uh, you just need a mechanism for uh, falling back if it does end up failing. And uh, because of the way that Remix is structured, uh, you will get that. Uh, it, it's actually really cool. Uh, the, the way that it works is like, if the user has submitted stuff, then let's render the, the stuff they submitted. Otherwise, we'll render um, you know, the form or whatever. And so as soon as the user submits it, then we fall into this render what they're going to see. And if that fails, then it'll just render the form again. Uh, and so you don't even think about it. It just like naturally works. And so... Yeah, the, like a big goal of Remix is to improve the user experience by eliminating loading states. And, and then we, we have a really awesome API for managing error states as well. And so like thinking about loading and error states, those are the two things that, uh, that our designers never give us designs for. <laughs> like we just, <laughs> they forget or whatever. Um, yeah. And so as developers, we often forget to, to implement them or, or if we do, like they don't, they don't work very well or they don't look very good. And um, Remix kind of, um, encourages managing those in a, a nice and declarative way. And even if you forget about uh, managing those error states because of the way that our APIs work, they typically will be managed in a, a way that is better for the user anyway. So I, I can, I, I should have told you before we started, I, I am a rambler, so you can feel free to, <laughs> to interrupt me as we go. No, no, I want you to be able to like finish that train of thought. So I, I am definitely following it and ask the questions for particular reasons. Um, it's funny. I mean, it's clear that you're very passionate about Remix. Um, I have a, a friend and former colleague who actually spoke after you at Utah JS. And he oh, was fun. Yeah. And he was telling me that you are also very passionate about Tailwind, which is a connection yes. with uh, Robbie, who also yeah. loves Tailwind. I love so Tailwind. Have yeah. These, yeah. I don't know if you remember him or not, but. Um, what was your friend's name? Corey Brown. Oh, yeah. I know Corey. Sure. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, uh, Tailwind is awesome. I, I often tell people, skip to the end, just use Tailwind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we we spend all of this time um, dorking around with these other solutions. I, I, I contributed to uh, many of these solutions. I, I uh, created Glamorous uh, for CSS and JS with React, and it was awesome. Um, and, and they're just as good as they've always been, which is to say that they're, they're pretty good, but we can do better. We can do better for the user experience. If you look at the network tab for any of these solutions, that'll tell you what type of user experience you're offering your users, and, uh, and we could make that better. Uh, and so Remix uh, does a really great job of managing the CSS in a way that's awesome for users making it so that you can actually cache um, that CSS <laughs> um, for one. But, uh, but then Tailwind just comes in and makes it even better because you end up with way less CSS than you would alternatively have. And like I, I, at PayPal, oh my gosh, we, we had um, the, the app I was in charge of is paypal.com slash transfer. Uh, so sending money to your friends and, and people, uh, especially across borders, that, that was uh, the team that I was on it when I started. And I was given a, a task of um, adding another variant to the, that, uh, to our AB testing. It was really like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Like we had so mm-hmm. many different variants of, of that homepage. And, uh, that showed in our CSS. <laughs> and so like we had so much copy paste CSS over there that we ended up uh, with 90% unused CSS, no matter what I did. Uh, I would wow. click around, I would open modals, I would do everything I could possibly think of. And still 90% of the CSS we sent to users was unused. And that was before CSS and JS. That was, um, that was with our, our SaaS stuff. Um, and so the, the big problem there is like, Nobody wants to delete any CSS because they don't know whether it is still in use. Uh, and, and that's because like the easiest way to get CSS on the page is to take the URL to the CSS file and, and stick it in a link tag. We were using Webpack, and so we're importing CSS directly, you know, and Webpack makes that magically work. And we, and we extracted the CSS. We weren't doing the inline thing or whatever, um, where you, you create a, a style tag uh, at runtime or whatever. But uh, but it all ended up in a, a single giant bundle, uh, and so you end up with just a crazy amount of CSS that's unused. And so that's when I, I switched to CSS and JS because that um, when you uh, are going with that approach, then if you don't uh, like, it's naturally code split. It code splits along with your. Uh, with your JavaScript and stuff. So if you're code splitting there, then it it happens automatically. Um, And so that also means that you're not going to be pulling stuff onto the page that that isn't there. And when you decide you don't need this component anymore, then the CSS gets deleted right right along with it. The problem is that you can't can't cache that very well. Uh, It can't be cached separate from from the rest of your JavaScript modules. And 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 that is only as good as your, um, your chunking mechanism anyway. And so, and pretty much any time you deploy, you you bust that cache as well. And for an app where uh, users go on like you know once a week or once a month um, at a regular interval, you don't really get a whole lot of benefit from the caching anyway. If you're like redeploying regularly, so yeah. So Tailwind solves this, and and Remix solves this by uh, first on the Remix side, you have to import a CSS file, and what you get is uh, Remix will just copy that CSS file over to the build directory, to the public build. And it does nothing with it. It does, like, there's no transformation of any kind. It just copies it over. 
And then what it, it gives you as part of that import, the default uh, import is the URL that um, to that resource that it copied over. And so you do the same thing with like images and stuff too. Uh, so anything that you want to have like copied into your public uh, directory. So um, what's really cool about this though is, is when you get that URL to that uh, CSS file, the Remix route module API uh, or convention uh, says that you export a function called links. And how do you get CSS on the page? It's by the link tag. And so each route can specify the link tags that it wants on the page when that route is active. And so you say, I want uh, a link that is rel style sheet and href is this styles URL that I just imported. And what is really great about this is that it means that when I go to this route, and then that link tag will be there. But when I leave that route, that link tag is gone. And what that, when the link tag is removed from the page, then those styles are, are removed. Uh, the, this CSS um, may still exist in memory or uh, the browser may just leave it in its cache or whatever, but the CSS is no longer applied because this, this link tag is gone. And what that means is that you get, you get this magical place where when you make a change to the CSS file, you know that it's not going to impact any page that's not importing it. So you can find every route that's importing this CSS file and know every single page that's going to be impacted by your changes. This is one of the big reasons why everybody uses CSS and JS. It's because I'm so tired of the cascade. I don't know what's going to change when I make a change to this file. Uh, and, and that's why we end up with 90% unused CSS on paypal.com slash transfer. <laughs> and, and so Remix like eliminates this problem. Uh, now, like if you've got components and stuff, that are used like on every page, then yeah, you're going to need to put that on the root. And as you're making changes to those, then uh, it's on the root. So it's literally on every page. So like, I guess check every page, but for components, those are typically going to be namespaced really like naturally anyway, like you, you just naturally namespace those. Uh, so it's, you, you don't even need a convention for it. It's just like, what else would you call this? So that's that. But uh, and, and so that like, if you just wanted to roll your own vanilla CSS, you could totally do that with Remix and it would work great and you wouldn't have cascade problems. You could actually embrace the cascade and it's awesome. Um, but then you throw Tailwind into the mix and things get even better um, because with Tailwind, you get this really awesome set of conventions or uh, constraints that limit the amount of CSS that you're, uh, that you're typically going to use. So like from, from a size standpoint, that's nice because you have fewer variations, but also from the user experience standpoint, that's nice too, because uh, you have a lot of consistency around like the padding around different things and the colors and everything else uh, is all just kind of baked into the way that you use Tailwind. And you kind of solve the problem of the, you know, having components and now, oh man, I got to namespace this, I guess. Um, because if, if that, if you're using Tailwind, then you don't need to worry about uh, CSS files. <laughs> like you just use these classes and it's awesome. I love it so much. And it just, it makes me feel like I'm not a designer, but I can make things look pretty okay with Tailwind. Um, and I just toss a bunch of classes at it. What I really, really love about it is that I don't have to think of names for things. This is why when I was using CSS and JS, I was always a big fan of the CSS prop. It's basically like the style prop, except you get all of the niceties of CSS and JS, like media queries and stuff. Um, and I like the CSS prop because I don't need to come up with a name. Like I've got this div and it wraps this other div, which it wraps this span that shows the price. So what do I call that first div? Is it my price wrapper? And then that second div, is that my price wrapper container or container or what, what is it? Like we come up with these, you know, and here's my root. 
But then like that's wrapped by another thing. So is this my root wrapper? Like we've all used these names before and they are so nonsensical. They don't make, they just don't make any sense. And people try to, to put these uh, conventions around it. Um, wouldn't it be cool if we didn't need the convention in the first place? <laughs> so that's, right. that, this is another thing I love about Tailwind is I don't have to come up with uh, stupid pointless names for stuff. I can just say, oh, I need this thing to be flex and justify content. And boom, now it is. And I don't have to come up with some stupid name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Totally Naming agree. things is hard. We know that. That in cash, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's uh, well, there we go. I uh, that, <laughs> Basically, mechanisms for less thinking. Less, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. That's what I'm about in life. And like talk about next thinking. Sorry, I like I said, <laughs> Rambler, but yeah, I am no really excited about this stuff. And and I will be honest. All right, I just want to make it clear: the enthusiasm for Remix came before the job. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, so I'd I'd been building my website in Remix for about a year before I joined up with uh, with the Remix team. I I got the job because I loved Remix, not because I, I don't love Remix because I got the job. It's nice when those things meet, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we're talking about like making things or making you have to think about fewer things. One thing that I love about Remix is the mutations API. Um, So like for most people, especially like new developers joining up today, when we're talking about um, a login form or something, they say, okay, so here's your form and you're going to need an onSubmit handler. And in that onSubmit handler, you're going to get this very, uh, this argument, we'll call it E and then we'll say e.preventDefault. And they don't have any idea what that means. They just know that's what you do when you want to do some sort of form. Uh, that prevent default is preventing something that is actually quite useful, and that is the browser will serialize the form for you. So um, what what we normally have to do is we say, okay, let's use state. Here's my email. Use state. Here's my password. And then I'm going to manage a bunch of like errors and and stuff, so I can show the user some error messages and whatnot, whatever. And all of this is going into state. Uh, updates on every keystroke or whatever. My on submit handler is going to take all of those and it's going to call fetch. If the user submits twice in a row, then I have no way of managing race conditions there. So I guess I'll put a disabled on the submit button or something. Or I, I learned the proper way to do this is in a use effect so that I can you know, abort that fetch request. Uh, and so now I have a, this use effect. And so like you're just doing so much of this wiring. And then you have to either uh, go to the repo where your backend is, or or you've got your uh, API routes with Next, or uh, you're talking to your backend engineers and say, okay, so this is what I'm going to be sending, and you're marshalling all of that stuff. And, and then, oh yeah, you also have to do uh, validation on the server because, like, it doesn't matter if you do it on the client. That's just for the user experience. the The server is where you actually validate the the data um, because people can just hit that directly. So uh, with Remix, this is so much easier. So every route is an API route. And that means that like when you've got a form, when the form is submitted, you actually are fine with the default behavior because uh, the default behavior will take all the form data and it will serialize it. And then it will, uh, by default, it does a get, but most of the time we want to post. So we say method post uh, and it will post to the current URL. Uh, that's, that's the default behavior of the browser with all that serialized data. Um, and so in Remix, you can handle that by within the same route as your form, uh, just like above that, you have another export called the action. And the action will uh, take the request and you can get all the form data out of that and you can validate it and do all the server stuff that you need to, You know, even talk to the database. 
or whatever you need to do, and then uh, redirect the user where they need to go. Like they just made a new project. So redirect them to the project page, or they just logged in, redirect them to their profile or their timeline or whatever. Or uh, the form is incorrect. So let's return some JSON uh, from this uh, this call and say, hey, this was in, uh, you know, this is incorrect and show some errors. So in none of that, do you have to think about managing state for the, the fields or even like the state for the error messages? Because all of that is handled for you by Remix. Um, you can build a very real world Remix app without a single use effect or use state or any of that. You, like you can build an entire real world app without having to, to touch those things at all. Uh, now, like there are definitely some situations where those can be useful, like you're uh, building your own animations library or something like that. You need to use effect for some of that stuff. But uh, for the regular CRUD stuff that most of us are doing most of the time, uh, you can just rely on the way that the web works uh, with a regular form. Uh, and then you can enhance it even further by like maybe animating in message, the error messages and stuff. But those error messages are are also handled for you by uh, by Remix with the use action data. and so. Yeah, you end up wiring a lot less and it all can be type safe as well, um, which is pretty stellar because TypeScript is just the bomb. <laughs> the thing is like lots of frameworks are like, yeah, here, here's how you get data. And then they like drop you off at the mutations and they're like, well, we've got a couple of these abstractions and stuff that you can use, uh, but you still end up having to do all this wiring and stuff. And Remix says, hey, let's just make it so that we work the way that the web works and uh, and then you don't have to worry about doing all this wiring. Nice. I like that about Remix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of wiring, let's devolve into some whatnot here. Looked at some of the different things on all of your various about pages and whatnot. Noticed you have some Teslas and some solar, like their solar stuff, and you're a big fan of all their stuff. I mm -hmm. actually just got their solar stuff installed at our house uh, like a week ago. So Nice. Pretty excited about that. How, how has yours been working for you? How long have you had it? Dude, that's awesome. Uh, did you get the solar roof or just the panels? Just panels because we have a metal roof, so we couldn't really do oh, the, wow. the shingles. Yeah. Yeah. Is that loud when it hails and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If it rains or <laughs> anything just happens, rains. it's loud everywhere. Birds uh -huh. lands on your roof, you hear it. Birds <laughs> land yeah. on your roof. But I like the look of the metal. That's cool. That's that's interesting. Um, yeah, so we got the solar roof and it has been phenomenal. I mean, it's winter right now. So like the sun is not up as much. It's cloudy. And so like because I do have two Teslas, um, they take a lot of power. Um, and so if we really needed to, we could go completely off grid and we would be OK. Uh, we'd probably have to charge the cars um, at a supercharger occasionally if we had like a week of, of no sun. But like for the most part, uh, like if we could go completely off grid and that is just that, that's the reason we got it is, is so that we don't have to rely on, on the grid. Uh, and in the summertime, we'll be sending the city or the power company like crazy amounts of energy um, just because I I maxed out as much as I could on this thing because you don't know what your future energy needs are going to be like right now I've got right. two cars, but like maybe one day I'll get a pool and, you know, pool pumps are <laughs> expensive to power right. and stuff. But yeah, like it took forever though. Um, I started thinking about this in uh, March of 2020 uh, and I put in an order for panels and I didn't hear anything. And of course that's COVID and everything got everything messed up. Mm -hmm. But by September, uh, I was like, you know what? I don't want panels. I want to do the roof. 
March of 2020, I decided I want panels. Then I decided I want a solar roof in September of 2020. And so I switched it. And then it wasn't until like June of this year, 2021, uh, when we finally um, had the install over. And my goodness, they did an amazing job installing. I've, I've never had somebody work on my home and feel so like confident in their abilities. Um, at least nothing mm-hmm. that big. I, I've got an electrician that I love and he's awesome. He does such a great job. But, uh, but for like a giant project like that, I, like I've had landscapers and stuff and, and I'm always like checking on them and whatever, but these guys were just, they were so good. And they, they were like, they'll come to you and they're like, I've got this problem or whatever. Like, I'm not sure what to do about this. And you're like, well, I don't know. Um, but these guys are like, yeah, we have this problem, but like here are two or three options. And we think that this would be best. And they were, they were so good. They, they totally knew what they were doing and they made sure I knew what, what was going on. And then like the power company in the city were really stupid and took forever to, to get things <laughs> done. And so, so we got it all installed, I think by July. And then our, after the install, our permit was rejected. It oh. was weird. Like we already had it installed. Like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. it's already been installed. Like, I don't need a permit anymore. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, we're past but, that uh, phase. But yeah, we, we eventually got the permit approved and finally got things switched on in like October. And so we've been running with, uh, with this and, and we have generated way more energy than we've used. And that is just really satisfying because uh, a, a big part of this was I want to be able to be independent of the grid. And then the other side of it was I want to send a ton of energy to the grid so that our grid is as green as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get the battery backups too? or? Yeah, yeah. So I maxed out okay. on the batteries. The, the city limits you how, on how much you can put on your roof and how much battery backup you get. I see. Uh, because okay. uh, Tesla's are just enormous batteries. So um, one of my Teslas could deplete all five of my power walls uh, if I went zero to 100. Uh, so if, I, if my power wow. walls were 100% and the battery on my car was at zero, then I could take the whole thing uh, just with the car. That's not very common. Like normally yeah. I don't charge from zero. Normally I'm charging, you know, just like the 50 miles I drove today or whatever. And so it's normally just totally fine. But the, the cool thing about getting so many, so much battery and so much um, power on the roof is that it means I can, I can have my home doing just a, a ton of stuff with energy, pulling tons of kilowatts. And my, my roof and my power walls can handle it because they can serve that much power. Like, it doesn't matter how big your battery is. If it can only send a couple kilowatts, then like it can't manage that load. And so, yeah, like I can charge both Teslas at the same time while running my um, AC or my uh, heating, uh, while running the dishwasher and the, the dryer and the microwave and like all of that stuff. Um, and that's, that's like the biggest reason that I, I maxed out everything was just like, I just want to pretend like everything is normal and, um, and everything's coming from the sun. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like, yeah. there you go. Your car runs on the sun. That's the TLDR. My car runs on the sun. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like driving down the road and singing, I'm driving on sunshine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. You're you're definitely an optimist. So you don't have any combustion engine cars nope. anymore. Yep. I'm totally hundred percent and and uh like two years ago I got rid of my gas mower and, and weed eater and stuff. So as yeah. soon as we got rid of our minivan um for a model Y. Um, I took the gas can and I gave it to my neighbor and I said, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no more sludge for you. 
Yeah, no more dinosaur juice. We we don't need it anymore. So yeah, there's no dinosaur juice in this house. Uh, the so the last thing that we need to to work on is methane gas. Uh, so that's how we heat, and that that one's tough. Um, but uh, eventually we are gonna do geothermal, and we'll get a a electric water heater. I was told I I just barely got a new water heater. That's a tankless water heater. And mm-hmm. I, I asked him, I was like, do they do like electric of these? And he was like, no, that it takes too much energy or, or it's not efficient or something. I was like, well, you're the oh. expert. And then like literally a week later, I saw they're like, they do this. That's like a totally a thing. Yeah. That, yeah it's like, to- yeah, I, have I was one. so mad. You, you go. Yeah, see, I'm yeah. like, what the heck? So <laughs> I need to, one of these days we'll, we'll swap out our brand new, um, our methane powered heater or water heater for an electric one. Yeah. But yeah, like that's totally a goal of mine is, and this is on my transparency page on my website. It's like, my goal is to be car- carbon negative and, and yeah, send more goodness into the world from an energy energy perspective than, uh, than bad. So it must mean you don't buy a lot of crypto and NFTs then because a lot of yeah, people yeah. complain about so, <laughs> the. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have some crypto as like you're hedging your bets and whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have uh, concerns about that for sure. And uh, actually, that was another reason uh, subtly why I decided to max out on the batteries. It's because mm-hmm. I um, like it, it's possible that like maybe one day I'll be mining my own stuff and I may as well you know, mine it with the power from the sun. I don't know. That's probably never going to happen, but. But that would be pretty cool. And what yeah, would you, yeah. what would you mine? I have if no If you were going to mine right now, what would you mine? <laughs> I guess Bitcoin. That's what everybody does. I don't know. You're not into those little Japanese dogs? Yeah. Uh, yeah I guess I could do Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Do you have any pets currently? I do. Yeah. I have a dog. Um, her name's Gemma. She's obnoxious, but we like her anyway. <laughs> my wife loves her um, and she loves my wife and, and she loves me too. But um, boy, she's annoying. Um, I, I, dogs bark. The dog, not the wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you to be clear about that. My wife is great. My yeah. wife is awesome. Definitely not annoying. The dog is super yes. annoying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dogs bark. Yeah, yeah, they do. And, and I, I hate that. And so like we used to have her sleep in our room. But she started growling at the kids when they would come in and she's just like, I think she's not going to hurt them or anything, but she just is like, hey, they're sleeping. Get out of here. And, you know, while I appreciate the gesture, <laughs> I, yeah, I can't have my dog growling at the kids. So yeah. she sleeps yeah. in the laundry room. <laughs> it seems good. So aside from your battle to uh, make the Internet a better place and make uh, your world as energy efficient as possible, do you have any other hobbies or interests? Yeah, I love uh, my one wheel. It's this electric uh, skateboard sort of thing, except instead of the four wheels, it has uh, one giant wheel in the middle. And my goodness, that thing is so fun. Yeah, I've gone almost 3000 miles on it. Um, And uh it is. Yeah. What I enjoy doing in the summertime is I will uh, put my laptop in my backpack uh, and the charger and I'll ride until I run out of battery and stop at a park or something and plug in or at like a Starbucks or whatever. And I'll work while it's charging. It only takes about an hour to charge and then I'll do it again. And I just keep going all day. I just love that. That's so fun. In the wintertime when it gets too cold, Sometimes I'll actually put on my snowboard gear and still go on a one wheel ride. <laughs> well, nice. I'll have like my helmet with the, you know, the goggles and everything, you know, cause it's cold, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll still do that. And I've got like these bright lights too. So when it gets dark, I, I'll just put the lights on. 
but uh, yeah, I, I also go snowboarding a lot um, with my kids and, and I'll, I'll go skiing sometimes too. And then like my family, we go hiking together and, and stuff. Uh, it's kind of what we do for fun. Uh, so I, I live like right next to the mountains. Um, and so I'm like a 45 minute drive from a ni- really nice ski resort. And so, yeah, we've had a late season, so I haven't gone yet. But um, in the next couple of weeks, I plan on going a lot. I live in the uh, bizarro version of of your life. I live in the desert, so we mm. don't uh, we don't do a lot of. Well, I mean, you can drive two hours up north, and and there's actually some decent mountains for skiing and snowboarding and whatnot. But I'm also mm. getting old with glass ankles, so I don't do that <laughs> anymore. Yeah, but, you know, man. we hike and mountain bike and things like that. Uh huh. So where where do you live? In Phoenix. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's hot in the summertime. My goodness, you were at like 120 this summer, weren't you? Uh, I think we did hit that one day, but I think I was out of town when that happened. It was like a week where we were out of town. We decided to do, we had the terrible idea to uh, get an RV trailer and try and tow that cross country. So, mm. you know, better or worse <laughs> to miss the 120 slash, but do this really difficult family trip. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, everything is air conditioned and we all have pools. They come standard. As soon as you come into the state, they're like, oh, are you going to live here? You're going to need this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah that's, uh, that's wild. Yeah. So it's not. But like, you're like your winter time is amazing. Like mm-hmm. right oh, yes. now, it's just you're in the 70s or something, right? Yeah. We have been like this week in the we were in the high 60s, low 70s. I think it was like 72 today. Fact. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. It's not so bad. Nine months out of the year. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. My sister lives in, uh, oh, where's, uh, Tempe, I think. Um, yeah. Or maybe Mason. Yeah. Tempe. Summertime's not fun, but she's like, visit us any other time because it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then she can visit you in, in the summer and then it kind of evens yeah, out. Yeah. It works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, has no idea what temperature it is here. It was 21 this morning and then it was like almost 60 later in the day. Really? Makes no sense. The sun comes out and it's like, I think I'm going to warm you up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You need you need to have a, a lot of layers so you can switch like complete seasons mm-hmm. in terms of your wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned NFTs earlier and I didn't get a, men- uh, a chance to say I think that's a giant scam. <laughs> that's, <laughs> uh, that's like the worst. So here's here, people always. Uh, this is the thing that people say. They're like, well, it's like the deed to your house. Right. It's just a paper. It doesn't like mean anything by itself, uh, but it means that you own the house. Like, here's here's why it's nothing like a deed to your house. <laughs> because if I if my neighbor comes in and he walks in my door and he's like, "Hey, Kent, I own this house now," I say, "No, you don't. Um, I've got this piece of paper that says it's mine." And he's like, oh, "I don't care about that that piece of paper." Well, then I can go to the a court and, and to a judge and be like, "Hey, I've got this piece of paper. You got to kick this neighbor out." And they're like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. But if I, I say, hey, I've got an NFT for this koala, you know, picture of a koala or something uh, that says it's mine. And then somebody else comes around and says, no, actually, that's mine. You have no recourse. You say, but I've got this, this digital something or other. And people are like, yeah, but I don't care about that. I will take that PNG and post it wherever I want. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. The enforcement aspect of it is interesting. Yeah. I think conceptually it has some potential, but it's so early days and then it just looks like money laundering at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some people attach like experience or experiential things to it or more like a ticket or whatever. Oh, you have this and yeah. You so can then you can do trade this other it thing. in. 
so uh, Damien Hurst did NFTs, and you could trade in your NFT for the real art if you wanted. You could just okay, yeah. they call burn that for the real art or keep the NFT. So like, okay, there are yeah. some legit things that aren't just like um, ugly ape pictures for hundreds of thousands <laughs> yeah. of dollars. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I I can see that where it's like, okay, so I'm in a game, and I, and they get I get this NFT that gives me access to this other thing, but. In my mind, that you're not buying an NFT. You're just buying access to this thing. Like, why do we have to call it this NFT thing? I don't know. Like, so it can be Web3 and it's blockchain. Cool. Exactly. So it can be blockchain <laughs> and Web3. So what does Remix do for the blockchain? That's really yeah, cool. yeah. yeah, we got to If we can put it on the blockchain, I think we'd have something. Yeah, well, you could probably <laughs> like, that's the other thing. Like with the Web3 thing is um, it's interesting, but you can't do any like actual real world private data sort of thing. Um, because every, if it goes on the blockchain, it's public. And and so you, you, you can encrypt it, sure. You can totally encrypt it and that's great. That means if you want the user to be able to like search or do any sort of indexing, they have to download the entire thing and decrypt it and then do all of your fancy stuff on the client, which like, uh, I'm sure there, there are a handful of use cases that could support that, but not a lot. Uh, I mean, like people used to laugh at the Wright brothers and now we're flying an airplane. So like, it, who knows what the yeah. future holds, but like, <laughs> these are major problems that I don't see a lot of people talking about. Um, they're just kind of glossing over, like they don't matter when they really kind of do. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's where you're kind of, like you said, hedging your bets on some things though. Like yeah, I have yeah, skepticism sure. and let's see how this all irons out. But the difference is, is maybe if you got in, you know, if you bought your Bitcoin, 14 years ago, whatever it was for cents on the dollar. And now you're a billionaire, right? I mean, yeah, that's just yeah. the whole, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> there you go. I think that's a way to tag it and get to be ambiguous as to your position too. Like yeah. it's interesting. That's what I'm going to say. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm interested. I don't know. Something worth talking about. <laughs> exactly. It is. I think that's valid. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, at time here, I'd had a few more questions, but uh, we'll save them I for rambled. a follow-up. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks thanks for coming on and uh, really enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, everyone that listened, if you like this, please subscribe and um, you know hit us up on Twitter if you have questions or you know Kent's around if you want to ask him questions. Yeah. And we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.